If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. The new year is always a time for resolutions, and yes, that is a thing. And one way we know that is that gym memberships always hit big numbers in early January and are usually canceled around the Super Bowl party. Of course, this year, some gyms aren't opened, and many people won't be having big, full-of-food Super Bowl parties. So where else do we look for our resolutions? Amy Conway is here to help. She is editor-in-chief of Health Magazine. Amy, 2020 taught us a lot about making plans from the film Man Plans, God Laughs. So how do we approach 2021? Yeah, you're absolutely right. One thing that we learned from 2020 is that life is short and unpredictable. I think that people are really ready for a fresh start, but resolutions are not going to look like they used to. After the year that we've just had, people really want to be kind to themselves. And I think that resolutions will be a little less prescriptive prescriptive than they have been in the past, and they're going to be more about setting an intention for making change in our lives in the new year. Well, I mentioned gyms. Many are closed right now, or they're closed, they reopen, then they close again, depending on how the virus surges. So how do we make resolutions about staying in shape based on that? Well, the good news is that actually... Joining the gym, obviously, is something that has always been huge. And as you mentioned, people don't always stick with it. It's actually easier in some ways to get in shape now because we can do it at home. So it's going to be less expensive. People can access so many different kinds of online workouts. They're free on YouTube. Or you can do any sort of elite studio class that you want to just from the privacy of your own home. And we know that during the pandemic, weights and all kinds of home gym equipment basically sold out. They, they These things are available again, so people can get, them set, get themselves set up really, really nicely and, and do their workouts at home. But what's also really nice is, again, with the theme of people wanting to be a little bit more gentle with themselves and a little bit more kind to themselves, instead of saying, I'm going to work out twice a week or I'm going to do you know something super specific, if people just tell themselves, I want to move more, then that is just a really good thing to keep in mind, especially with working at home 
people have become much more sedentary. So I think that you can make these resolutions a little bit more um, gentle on yourself at this time of year. Yeah. And you bring up a point within that about emphasizing the positive. Don't think of changes as denying yourself things. This, of course, goes for food, too. But think about just how to add good things into your life and see what happens with that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Thinking positively is something that you can you can take that approach with almost anything. So let's say you want to cut out sugar in your life. Instead of thinking of yourself being deprived of those cakes and cookies, think of what good will come to your life. Maybe clearer skin, maybe better digestion, more energy. So think about the positive things that you'll get from what you want to do. And that really, that will really help a lot. Yeah, there's there's something, as long as we're talking about staying in shape, that's now known as the quarantine 15, being sedentary, sitting in front of a computer, sitting at home. So what do we do about that? Well, again, that's where a lot of it comes down to attitude. And that's where in years past, a lot of people started the new year saying, I have to lose weight. And they would you know, put, put an amount of pounds right on it. But again, that's just not a super healthy way to think about things. And you know, your health is about so much more than your weight. And so at Health Magazine, one thing that we do is we really think more in terms of healthy habits. So when you're looking at the quarantine 15, first of all, think about why might you have gained weight? What we've all been through in this last year has been really, truly traumatic in a lot of ways. And our whole lives and certainly our routines have changed. So really think about if you have put on weight, why is that? Is it because you haven't been working out as much? And there are definitely ways to incorporate that into your life. But also, is it because you are working from home? And that means that you're snacking all day. So look at that habit. Is it because you are, you know, having um, a glass of wine every night that you didn't used to have because you're feeling stressed out. So really look at the habits that you've developed and what has perhaps made you, um, has led to you gaining some weight and see how you can change those, dial them back and then re, you know, um, restart with healthier habits in the new year. One of the things that you have as a resolution is to get more sleep, which sounds like it would be easy with so many people stuck at home. But we're also in this 24-hour online demand world where your boss, if you're lucky enough to still have one of those, can get in touch with you at any time. And people's sleep gets almost more disrupted than the days when they could just go to a nine-to-five job and be done with it. Yeah, that's a good point. The whole the the work creep is a real thing. The fact that people's, you know, days don't necessarily end at the same time. And you're right to mention sleep because that is really one of the real pillars of health. Sleep is not a luxury. It's really a necessity in terms of making ourselves feel good, in terms of longevity, just in terms of everything. Sleep is is so so much happens while we sleep and it's so important. So you really need to set these boundaries for yourself. We you know, people talk a lot about boundaries, setting them with other people, but we really have to set boundaries with ourselves and really work hard to keep them. So think about what time do you want to be asleep? How much sleep does your body need? You know, most adults need, you know, a good seven to eight hours a night. So think about what that means and then prepare for it as you're, as you're getting to that, that bedtime. And really one thing that helps is, you know, we know if people who have kids know that a bedtime ritual is really important, whether it's the bath and reading the stories and things that help kids get wound down for the night, we have the equivalent as adults. It's, you know, it's turning off the TV so that you don't have that light. It's not drinking or eating too much right before bed. And you might find it helpful to really develop a bedtime ritual such as um, journaling at night or having a cup of tea and just something that clues your mind and your body into the fact that it is... um, that it's time to to really start winding down. But the real key is then sticking to that. And so that is a great resolution for the new year. You mentioned earlier that it's probably bad for us to make a resolution. I'm going to lose, you know, such and such number of pounds. So 
If we don't think of this large goal, how do we approach these things in a resolution? Yeah, starting small is actually a really great way to do things. So you might sort of say, I'm going to take a walk. You know, if you've been super sedentary, say, I will make a healthy, healthier lunch for myself during the week, or I'm going to take a walk every day. Start small. And then when you start winning at those small steps, you gain confidence and you will, and it will help you stick to it. And it will help you kind of keep going and build on it as well. So starting small is key. And also check in with yourself along the way. So let's say you make a resolution, whether or not it's realistic, check in with yourself every week and say, how have I been doing on that? Well, if you haven't been doing so well, maybe it was too ambitious. Maybe it was too much of a leap from what your regular day-to-day is and you need to dial it back a little bit. So again, those small actions really build to big ones and that's a great way to think about things. Well, along those lines, for people that want to cut back drinking, you talk about making a resolution just for a dry January. Now, tell me how that works. Dry January is something that has been catching on. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I mentioned that I don't think people will be doing these super strict um, kinds of uh, resolutions this year. But at the same time, I think do think that challenges like a dry January is something that people will really be trying a lot because, you know, everybody's been talking and joking and maybe not directly joking about having been drinking a lot during quarantine. So really taking a break from alcohol can help reset your relationship with it. It will also help you lose some weight if that's what you're looking to to do. And it will also help you sleep better. So that's something where if, again, it's a lot of it is about routine. So if you've gotten in the habit of a glass of wine each night, don't, you you try to replace it with something else that you'll enjoy. Make yourself a non-alcoholic cocktail, something that feels like a little bit of a treat for that same time of day. So again, that you don't feel so deprived so that you, um, so you're still enjoying the ritual of it and also getting those health benefits. And there are so many studies that show that people who quit drinking for a month, that the positive effects carry on, that again, you've sort of reset that relationship with alcohol so that you're more mindful about how you drink come February, even if you go back to drinking in February. Speaking of February, maybe it's better to do a dry February. I mean, it's a shorter month. (laughs) Yeah, I've actually heard people say that. Why not? Exactly. Final thing, people talk a lot about carbs. And I noticed among that, you know, I'm going to quit carbs. And then some people say, no, don't. Carbs are good for you. And one of your things in dealing with that resolution is maybe just change out the carbs you're having for healthier carbs. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. For Health Magazine, actually, for our January issue, we talked to nutritionists about uh, people's diet resolutions. And one of the things that people often say is, I want to give up carbs. And nutritionists always say, no, don't do that. Because what people don't understand about carbs is that so many different types of foods, including many that are really, really good for you, are carbs. And our body needs them for energy. So when if you're going to say you want to give up carbs, certainly you can scale back on things like sugar and white flour and the processed foods that contain so much of them. But in terms of carbs, that's going to be black beans and sweet potatoes and whole grain foods. So As with everything in life, think in terms of moderation. Don't think so black and white and don't just say, I'm going to cut out this entire food group. Think instead of just adding, we talked before about adding, about making it about having more of the good things in your life. And that same same philosophy applies to carbs. Amy Conway is editor-in-chief of Health Magazine. Amy, a very happy 2021 to you. Thank you. You too. You're listening to a holiday special from the CBS Audio Network. This is the holiday special from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. We've said almost far too many times at this point how this year is different from any other year in memory. And, of course, that goes for movies as well. 
This time of year is when the big films come out, or used to. Ann Hornaday is film critic for the Washington Post with our yearly roundup of holiday films. But speaking of roundups, Ann, I feel like I'm throwing a lasso into thin air. Are there big holiday releases? Well, yes and no. Um, I think there's a bona fide big release that everybody's highly anticipating in the form of uh, Wonder Woman 1984. And of course, that's one of those great big big screen blockbuster spectacles that, you know, everybody wanted to see in theaters in 2020 um, and life had other plans. And so then Warner Brothers decided to bring that out both in theaters where theaters are open and then also on demand um, on HBO Max. So I think that'll be, you know, I think that's probably the closest thing to an event movie, but there are lots of, you know, Pixar has an animated film coming out called Soul that's also really highly anticipated. Um, Regina King, that wonderful actress, is making her directorial debut with a movie called One Night in Miami um, that kind of has all the trappings of a holiday season, you know, award season kind of a movie. The entire city of Miami is celebrating. I'm the new heavyweight champion of the world, and I don't even have a scratch on my face. Oh my goodness. Cash. Cash. Why am I so pretty? <laughs> this movement that we are in is called a struggle because we are fighting for our lives. This could be kind of a big holiday film. It's about a fictionalized meeting of Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown and Sam Cooke getting together in Miami. You know, when you think about what happens to Malcolm X and what you think about what happens to Sam Cooke, it, your first feeling is not, it's the feel-good movie of the holidays. So can you tell people That's more? Because I know people who have heard about this movie think it's just going to be uh, one of the best movies of the year. Well, it's a really interesting film, Gil. And I wouldn't, you know, it's it may not feel like a feel-good movie, but it is such an absorbing drama about this meeting that um, that that took place in Miami it's right on the eve of Cassius Clay deciding to become who we knew as Muhammad Ali. And Eli Gorey, the actor who plays Clay in this movie, is just uncanny as Cassius Clay. And there's a lot of humor. You know, it's, it's, it's basically, it's, it's adapted from a play. So it's pretty much set in one room, this one hotel room. But there's a lot of back and forth and banter and joking and arguing. And it's, hugely entertaining and it's a great character study um so you know i think in leslie odom uh jr of course from hamilton plays sam cook in another terrific performance so it's 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 really entertaining and i think it'll be it'll be really absorbing for audiences one of the films that shows kind of the trickiness of the movie industry these days and is a film where the trouble has nothing to do with covid that is the film monster hunter this is uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's adaptation of the video game. This is expected to be a, you know, a huge film. Opened in China, and there was like this little thing that I think most people would have missed that was taken as an insult by the Chinese, and the movie just kind of like disappeared from the theaters there. Yeah, this seems like one of those unfortunate misunderstandings where a piece of dialogue that was intended to be a lighthearted joke, um, apparently some audience members and some people who saw the movie early were mistook it. It it does, I don't I, I wasn't there, but it does sound like they misunderstood it as an insult and a, and a 
slight. And my understanding is that they're going to recut the movie, cut that particular moment out, and then and then take it back. Put it. I mean, by which I mean they'll put it back. They'll put it back into circulation. Yeah, it's so interesting because the information about that spread on social media with people saying boycott it if even if they bring it back with the edit because they shouldn't have had it there in the first place. And it's it's so fascinating because. Social media has become such a great way for people to get word out about movies, especially movies that nobody saw coming, nobody thought would be a blockbuster, and TV shows as well. But it can also be kind of an unexpected tragedy for movie companies. It is certainly a wild ride. I mean, they are riding the tiger in terms of, like you said, that word of mouth. You have to be on social media in order to gain awareness, especially now with theaters closed, you know, because... One of the best ways to create awareness for your film is other movies, you know, the trailers in front of other movies or the prequel or the, you know, um, the, the movies themselves are the modes of promotion. But without those, without theaters open, social media is even more important. And then it can really it can really turn on you. So you have to you have to deploy it very carefully. So getting back to the movies that are opening that people are looking forward to that either will or will not bring people back to movie theaters, one of them is a Tom Hanks movie called News of the World. And this is another thing where the people who have had access to it in some form or another are are saying Hanks is going to be up for an Oscar and that this is a this is a film worth seeing. Well, you know, it's interesting because I I I it's very similar to that, to this George Clooney movie, The Midnight Sky. Um, they both feature these beloved stars kind of in their more grizzled modes, let's say. You know, they both sport pretty impressive white beards and they are on journeys, on sort of epic journeys through dramatic landscapes, uh, protecting these young girls. Ladies and gentlemen, these are stories of men and women very much like you. Waiting for better days to come. Ah, you can't have her! And I'm taking her home! I wouldn't say that these, again, I wouldn't describe them as necessarily feel-good movies, but they are but they have grandeur to them, you know? And they, again, they're featuring two of our most beloved stars. So it's just, it's always interesting when the culture kind of converges to to bring you these very similar movies in terms of theme and mood and who would have known when they were making them, you know, that it would be this way when they came out, but they somehow seem to kind of capture this time in a certain way. It's always just so interesting when, when cinema does that. Yeah, it is. But something else, you're just talking about Tom Hanks and George Clooney playing grizzled old guys. That's a change, isn't it? Because when I was a little kid, mom and dad were taking me to the movies or, you know, watching films on TV and stuff. You always had the people who now, I guess, would be playing grizzled old guys, you know, like, you know, Cary Grant, Fred Astaire, never got to be grizzled old guys. They just became old guys with white hair who 20-year-old starlets were falling in love with. I mean, they, they never got to the grizzled part. It is a change in the way we see older actors now. I think you're exactly right. That's such an interesting point. And um, well, yeah, I mean, stardom, just stardom in general is such a different animal now. Again, with the advent of social media, with the advent of reality, I call it so-called reality TV, but just the whole definition of celebrity and stardom has sort of shifted under their feet. Um, and, you know, you're looking at two two men 
who are icons in the business and in the culture, but who are kind of navigating these changes in an industry that's shifting under their feet, you know, in terms of the movies, what they mean, what stardom means, what, you know, our demand for cent- uh, story centered around middle-aged white guys, frankly, you know, that is no longer the, the gravitational center of our storytelling. So it is, it's really fascinating watching these two men navigate all of those things and still stay relevant and still, you know, do the things that they love to do. And getting back to where we started, you know, what are the big holiday movies? We mentioned a couple, but I guess the big story here is what aren't the big holiday movies? The new James Bond movie, postponed. Dune, postponed. A lot of these, those kind of tentpole movies, maybe summer 2021, depending how many people get the vaccine and when, maybe later. I mean... The, the big holiday movies are now, I guess, at best, the big summer movies. I think you're right. I do want to make a little plug, though, when I when we were sort of talking about that more traditional kind of holiday movie. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you know, is a good example of now, again, it's not a happy go lucky kind of musical, but it's based on the classic August Wilson play with an absolutely towering performance from Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman, tragically, in his last role. But that kind of has that burnished quality of that sort of seasonal film that I always associate with this time of year. But no, you're right, Gil. Um, who knows? I still think people don't know when we're going to be seeing those the, the the postponed films. I mean, obviously, Warner Brothers has made their decision to bring them out, uh, their slate out simultaneously in theaters and on um, HBO Max. But like you said, I mean, it'll all depend on the vaccine. It'll depend on how people are feeling about going back into interior spaces together. And um, it's just, uh, you know, everybody's sort of making the decisions that they feel like they have to make. But I'm not sure anybody can really say with any certainty that they're the right one. We'll tell you what. In a later segment, let's talk about what are the great classic holiday movies that we can enjoy, even if we're not going to a theater, that we can sit in front of our TV or our computer or our phone or whatever it is and enjoy the films that have been kind of tried and true and lasted all of these years and tackle those, okay? Beautiful. Anne Hornaday will be back. She's film critic for The Washington Post. You're listening to the holiday special from the CBS Audio Network. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
You're listening to the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross, and we're talking with Washington Post film critic Anne Hornaday about the classic holiday movies, the things that have just lasted for years in which we seem to be able to watch again and again, or if you have people who have never seen them, introduce them to some of the films that have, for some reason, whether it's quality or just a kind of sense of joyousness, have just kind of made it over the years. And what do you put on that list? Well, you know, I know you, you think I'm going to say um, It's a Wonderful Life or The Miracle on 34th Street, right? And those are wonderful. They are terrific films. But I have my own sort of um, idiosyncratic favorite. I'm a big fan of uh, two Barbara Stanwyck films that I'm just in love with. One is called Christmas in Connecticut from 1945, where she plays a, a kind of hard-driving career gal with a column about home life and cooking that she pretends to be writing from a farmhouse in Connecticut, but really she's a city city girl and have, doesn't have any such thing. But when a, when a returning soldier who's a big fan comes home, they decide to make a big PR stunt out of it and concoct this fake life for her in this idyllic little Connecticut farmhouse. And it's just a lot of fun, great character actors like, um, Sydney Greenstreet and SZ's Plow. I know that for our younger listeners, those names don't mean a lot, but these are just some of the great actors of all time. It's just golden age Hollywood at its best. So I, that's one of my favorites. And then there's a wonderful film where she starred with um, Fred McMurray called Remember the Night. And she plays a, a, a woman who's picked up for stealing a bracelet right on the eve of Christmas, right before Christmas. And Fred McMurray is the DA and he takes pity on her and lets her go home to visit her family in Indiana. They end up on a road trip. It is just deliciously romantic and sweet. And the two of them are fantastic. So I would lift up those two. And my favorite of all time, The Man Who Came to Dinner with um, Monty Woolley and Betty Davis and Penguins. Glad you mentioned Fred McMurray because he is one of the most underrated actors of all time by himself. When Billy Wilder wanted him for Double Indemnity, which is just a great, great film and a dramatic film, and when he was wanted later by Wilder for The Apartment and, you know, his uh, great turn as uh, this this kind of self-styled attorney on the Kane Mutiny, each time he initially deferred, he told Billy Wilder, you know, I mean, I, I'm just an old saxophone playing light comic. And he never seemed to understand what a good actor he was. Maybe that's the secret. He's so unaffected. You know, I think he's a part of that generation. Um, we, we give Brando credit for inventing the method style of screen acting, but he didn't really invent naturalism. And I think McMurray is one, Henry Fonda, Spencer Tracy. These guys just never looked like they were trying all that hard. <laughs> And it's just so fabulous. And then when they develop these wonderful chemistries with their co-stars, it's something really special. And for people that are binge watching all these great series, and these are these are these are seminal texts, you know, in the art of visual storytelling and screen acting. And it's funny you should mention The Apartment, because in some people's books, that's a Christmas movie. You know, there's a Christmas, there's an office Christmas party that figures pretty prominently in that film. What else? What else, especially maybe with people who haven't paid as much attention to movies or younger people who don't know some of the holiday classics, what else are we putting on their list? Because we've already put some things on there that may not have been on such lists before. True. And, you know, well, we have to put Elf on there. I'm going to go, I'm going to sort of get a little bit more recent. Elf with Will Ferrell, that, that kind of Let's see, that came out in 2003, so that's been a little over 15 years, but that was, you could almost say that was an instant classic, you know, with Will Ferrell, Bob Newhart. It's just so adorable and so funny. 
Um, and that's the one that you want to kind of, you know, gather around with the family. One that came out a few years ago that I was charmed by, um, and I never really thought it got the attention it deserved, was The Man Who Invented Christmas with Dan Stevens. A lot of people know Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey, but he plays Charles Dickens as this kind of beleaguered family man who's trying desperately to, to, to earn money for this huge family that he has. And he's trying to figure out a book to write. What, what, could, what would be commercial? And, he want, and he's like, maybe a Christmas book. And everybody's saying, no, 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 you know, that'll never sell. And then you see him meeting the real life people that will inspire the characters in um, A Christmas Carol. And it's just, I just was really charmed by this movie. It has a wonderful look, wonderful, rich production. I thought he was fantastic. So um, yeah, I lift that one up. Perfect. And for, by the way, for people, uh, younger people who don't know Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey, something that their parents were watching while they went into the other room, he was the lead in the FX show Legion. He's that guy. So, okay. You're the hip quotient on this show, you know, because I'm so busy watching my movies. I don't. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And, you know, I would nominate Little Women from when was that last year already? That seems like a thousand years ago. Greta Gerwig's adaptation of the book. Um we saw that. I literally went to see that on Christmas Day with my with my dad and my daughter and my husband. And that's another one where the whole family can kind of gather around. It's good for all ages. It looked fantastic. Some wonderful performances from Saoirse Ronan and um, Meryl Streep. It's just it's just a cozy, nice wintertime Christmas time movie. Perfect. So now you all have your list. You can all binge. Uh, and you can binge in every sense of the word since you're not driving anywhere, probably, and enjoy the movies. And Hornaday is film critic for The Washington Post. And happy holidays. Same to you, Gil. Thank you. You're listening to the holiday special from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to the holiday special from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. This is the season, of course, for gift-giving, and for some people that means being in the spirit of the season of goodwill toward men and women by wanting to give gifts that they need never feel guilty about. Or maybe more to the point, the person who gets the gift never needs to feel bad about. Jewelry has been a problematical item, though, over the years. There's always been the debate over blood diamonds, diamonds often sold by warlords to finance the slaughter of people, and now even COVID comes into the situation. Joe Becker is Advocacy Director in the Children's Rights Division of Human Rights Watch. Joe, good to have you with us. How are you? I'm fine. Good to be with you. There's an irony here because jewelry is so often given in love. So going on the internet and getting some horrifying backstory is the last thing you want, especially at this time of year. What's going on? Exactly. Jewelry is something that you give to loved ones to show that you care about them. It's also a $300 billion a year business. But unfortunately, what we found is that many consumers, when they buy uh, jewelry, have no assurance from the company that the gold and the diamonds that they're buying are not tainted by human rights abuses. Human Rights Watch has done investigations for 10 years now, looking at human rights abuses in gold and diamond mining. And we've found some really horrific situations, forced labor in diamond mines in Zimbabwe, gold and diamonds linked to abusive rebel groups in the Central African Republic or the Congo. And in several countries, uh, young children working in really hazardous conditions in, in gold mines. And COVID has even added to this problem because conditions in the mines were never healthy to begin with. And I understand the deepest gold mine in South Africa has now been apparently really hard hit by this virus. Exactly. In industrial mines, people are working close together in closed spaces, uh, puts them at risk of, of COVID. Um, 
COVID has also shut down mines or blocked regular trading routes, which has allowed illegal miners and smugglers to expand their operations in some cases. And many families have been hit hard economically, which we've heard has led to a spike in child labor in mines in in some countries. This is something that's just so hard for people to get their heads around because we're talking about things. Yes, there's low-end jewelry too, but very often we're talking about gems, gold, things that sell for remarkable amounts of money in very, very posh stores. And yet the people who are getting this material to turn into, you know, rings and bracelets and, and everything is uh, are just not sharing in the wealth of this at all. Yeah, we've had a we've found a real problem with transparency and traceability when it comes to jewelry companies and what they what information they share with consumers. So we just issued a, a new report that looked at 15 of the largest and best known jewelry brands. Uh, these companies account for about 15% of global jewelry sales. So, you know, brands like Tiffany, Pandora, Cartier, Bulgari, uh, Signet, and, and others. And we asked them questions about, you know, where do you get your gold and your diamonds? Do you know exactly what mines it comes from? You know, what do you know about the, the supply chain and the different stages that it's, it's traveled to, you know, before it ends up in your manufacturing plants? And we found that with few exceptions, most can't tell their customers exactly where their gold or diamonds come from. And many rely on their suppliers, you know, self-reports or their say-so that their gold and diamonds are free of abuses without really rigorously rigorously checking that, that out themselves. It seems such an odd thing, and it's such a problem for customers who care about this, because it's not like when you walk into a restaurant in many parts of the country, you see a posting or even a grade from the Board of Health. I mean, the question comes up, how do people know what they're getting and, and how it got there. Yeah. If you walk into a grocery store, you know, there are little stickers on your bananas telling you where they come from. But if you walk into a jewelry store and ask where the gold comes from, you know, the vast majority of times the, the jeweler will not be able to tell you. Um, so, you know, some companies definitely do better than others. For example, we rank Tiffany and Pandora as quite strong in their efforts to trace their gold and their diamonds and to share information with, uh, with consumers. But we found that half of the companies that we looked at don't even tell consumers what their expectations are for their, their suppliers. Uh, some, in fact, provide consumers with no information at all about how they source their, their gold and diamonds. So, you know, as we head in this holiday season, you know, one big question that, you know, shoppers can pose when they're, you know, buying jewelry for their loved ones is to ask their jewelers, you know, what do you know about this, about this jewelry? What do you know about where the gold and the diamonds came from? You know, I'm, I'm kind of amazed at, at some things, especially at the end of the day, since we've gone to quartz movements from the old days of, you know, very intricate watches where, you know, craftsmanship was an incredible thing and you paid an incredible price for it. Now, basically, a quartz movement is a quartz movement. So you're paying for a brand name and maybe, you know, again, the jewels and and how nicely it's designed and things like that. But the markup here is tremendous. So you would think that they would have the money and maybe even look on it as a way to market. Hey, we're better than, you know, company B over here because we make sure that everything along the way is taken care of, that the people are taken care of, or at least... You know, they're not under like really 
dismal health conditions. Right. And some companies really take pride in wanting to be responsible. You know, they find it as a plus both for, you know, consumers um, and also for their own employees. Some of the companies have told us, for example, that if they adopt sustainability practices, one of the main benefits is that their own workers are more loyal and, uh, and uh, you know, committed to the, the brand. And so, you know, at the end of the day, one of the things that we really need is, you know, binding laws that will require companies to go through certain steps to make sure that their products are, are ethical and, and uh, you know, sourced responsibly. You know, just a final thought on this that really, you know, catches me up, especially this time of year when we are talking about, you know, goodwill toward men and women and all, is that I go into a grocery store and there'll be a section for eggs, you know, cage-free chickens and and even over in the chicken section, oh, we treat our chickens so nicely before, you know, we chop off their heads and put them on your dinner table. And the, the cows only eat this kind of grass and all this kind of thing, which, you know, is all well and good. With human beings, frankly, we don't seem to care as much. I think that's true. You know, a few years ago, I was in Ghana looking at child labor in their gold sector. Uh, Ghana is one of the larger uh, gold mining company countries in, in Africa. And, you know, I saw children who were climbing into, you know, these rickety shafts that could collapse at any moment, you know, carrying heavy bags of ore, pounding the ore and breathing in all this dust that caused respiratory illnesses. And, you know, one of the most shocking things was meeting, you know, children as young as eight or 10 years old who were handling mercury with their bare hands to try and process the gold without any awareness that mercury is highly toxic and can you know, cause brain damage. I met one boy who had developed this severe tremor in his hand. He could barely write any longer. And you know, at least he made the connection that it was probably linked to you know, his, his work with, with mercury. Um, the, the numbers that we have is that there are as many as a million children worldwide working in mining. And it's really one of the most dangerous uh, sectors of work for, for children of any kind. And I think if most people, you know, buying a pair of earrings or, or a necklace, you know, knew that there was a chance that, you know, a child was sacrificing their, their health and their safety to produce that jewelry, they would want to know more. They would want to know what the company was doing to make sure that, you know, that their products weren't, you know, made at the, uh, you know, with the exploitation of children. Well, let's see if we can get there. In the meantime, Human Rights Watch is is keeping watch and demanding explanations. Joe Becker is advocacy director in the Children's Rights Division of Human Rights Watch. And maybe when we give that token of love, we can find with more transparency that the love has been there since the very beginning of the process. Joe, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks so much. You're listening to a holiday special from the CBS Audio Network. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You're back with the holiday special from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. The grotto at the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem is not only the site where it's believed that Jesus was born, but is the oldest Christian worship site in the world. The first church in the Nativity built there by Constantine was back in the 4th century. It burned after 200 years, but the church there now is mainly from the 6th century, and floor mosaics from that first church remain to this day. The first time I visited was a strange time. It was during the first intifada, and the church and streets around it were empty with Israeli troops and surrounding rooftops watching my wife and I, my co-anchor and producer. There was one man outside the church selling trinkets with no buyers anywhere to be seen because of the danger. This year is different again because of COVID. CBS News correspondent Imtiaz Tayyab is there and says the decorations are up, but hardly anyone's coming. Bathed in the shimmering winter sunlight, all the trimmings of a holiday wonderland. And while the tree is up and the ornaments are on, the crowds are missing. Bethlehem's manger square is bracing itself for a Christmas like no other, says Father Issa Talgia of the Church of Nativity. Christmas will be a little bit sad, but we know that uh, maybe uh, by praying, by raising up our voice to God, that things will change and coronavirus will disappear. Last year, this is what Christmas was like in Bethlehem. Streets heaving with tourists and pilgrims from around the world, soaking up the festive cheer where Jesus was born. But in March, the gates to the biblical city were slammed shut after the Israeli-occupied West Bank's first major outbreak of COVID-19 erupted here. According to the Ministry of Health, there have been over 65,000 cases in the Palestinian territory and more than 620 deaths, resulting in strict lockdowns that have spelled doom for many of Bethlehem's small businesses. All the people, they are afraid. And in the city, you feel the, the, the spirit of the birth of Jesus. But these days, there's nothing. You don't feel any spirit. It's sad. The eerie silence isn't just on the streets. It's also in the churches. Here at the Church of the Nativity, where it's believed Jesus was born on this very spot. There are no crowds, no choir singing, and just a precious few of the faithful. But for Carmen Gattas, who speaks for Bethlehem's local government, it's an opportunity to get closer to the teachings of Christ. But this year we go to the essence of the Christmas. We go inside ourselves, think about the, the spirit of Christmas, the religious meaning of Christmas. We think and we feel with our beloved ones, having family and friends safe is Christmas, especially in this situation. It's a really beautiful thing to say that the spirit of Christmas is keeping each other safe. With coronavirus infections still rising across Bethlehem, Midnight Mass has also had to be scaled back. Merry Christmas! And the closest many will get to the annual tree lighting ceremony will be by watching it online via a live feed, digitally bringing light into a world that, this year, has seen so much darkness. For CBS This Morning, I'm Imtiaz Tayyip.
This has been the Holiday Special from the CBS Audio Network, produced by District Productive and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Gil Gross. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free, starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.